man, the worship was good. I'll tell you what, I didn't um, want to, when we were singing at some point, Robert, uh, I thought, you know, I know I'm making a joyful noise to the Lord, but there's a, a time there, and I think it was singing Holy, 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 which is one of my all-time favorite hymns. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to listen to you guys. And y'all greatly, greatly encouraged me. Well, let's get encouraged by looking into God's Word this morning. So turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalms chapter 55. And we're going to beginning, uh, be big beginning, a, uh, I can't believe I said that just then, but I did, didn't I? We're going to start, how about that, a new sermon series. And it's going to be focusing on the Psalms. I'm reading through the Psalms recently in the summer. Uh, I try to read as many books as I can in the summer. Summer's kind of slowed down a little bit. And one of the books I was reading encouraged me and challenged me to read, and not only through the Psalms, but to start praying the Psalms, maybe more than I ever have. So this is kind of a series uh, based off of that. I've entitled it Establish, and the subtitle is The Work of Our Hands. And if that sounds somewhat familiar to you, it, it should, because that's taken right from Scripture. And I don't often do this, but every now and then, as we think about, of a particular series, uh, and a particular sermon series, there's one particular key verse that, to me, is the theme of the whole verse. For example, if you're reading through the book of Philippians, uh, the key verse there is, you know, count it all joy. You know, it talks about it's the whole book is the book of joy. It's the, the book of joy. Well, when I think of, of, of this particular series and when I think about what we've called it and those words on the screen, this verse comes to mind. Psalms 90, verse 17, which says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Say that, say that with me. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Psalms 90 verse 17 is a key verse for us as we go through four messages dealing with the book of Psalms. Psalms 55 is what I want us to begin with today. So be finding your copy of God's Word. And we're going to be talking about this particular subject today, praying hands praying hands. And it's right there from Psalms 55. Now, you know, uh, I'm about to make a pretty astounding statement. Y'all ready for this? This is, this is earth shattering. Hands are important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obvious, right? I'm just having a little fun with you. But our hands really are important. Do you know that just in your hands, in, in your hands and in your fingers are 25% of the bones in all of your body and something as small as our hands. And then if you throw your feet in, You've got 50% of the bones that comprise your body are, in, are found in your hands and your fingers and, and right there in your feet. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal. So I don't know about you, but when I think of that, I think, well, wow, that, that's pretty cool that something as small as my feet, something as small as my hands, when you look at my entire body, 50% you know, of my bones are, are there. And, and that tells me that surely then if, if God did that, if he designed us that way, surely that means he wants us to get up and go. He wants us to do something with our hands and with our feet for his glory. So we're looking this morning at Psalms 55, and the subject matter is praying hands. Now, before we read our particular text, I wonder when you think of praying hands, I wonder what comes to mind. There might be a lot of things that might come to mind, but you might think of that particular picture. And that particular picture is, is pretty old, and it may not look like that if you were to buy it from an art gallery or a reproduction, or if you even can buy it from Walmart, I kid you not, you can order that from Walmart, that particular image. But that's by a German painter. He painted it some 500 years ago, Albrecht Dürer. 
And yeah, I know if you take German, you know, sometimes it's got the little umlaut over the U there, but sometimes it's spelled that way, sometimes it's not. So I don't know if I did it any justice there, if you know German or anything like that, but we'll just pretend like I did. But that's probably one of the most famous paintings when it comes to that image of praying hands. So, so how long has it been since you've done this? So let's all do this this morning. Let's put our hands together like this. All right, don't be afraid. I'm not going to call upon you, I promise. You know, but that's, that's just something else. You know, when we were little, that's how our parents, that's how our Sunday school teachers taught us to pray, right? All right, you can put them down. Like, I know you're thinking, gosh, what's he going to do? Surely he's going to do something. We know him. But uh, one of the most prettiest sights I've seen in church is when we ask little children to pray. And here's what they do. They put their hands together like this, and they bow their head, and they close their eyes. Now, sometimes we have to tell them to bow their head and close their eyes, but they pretty much get it. But it's really one of the most prettiest and sweetest pictures, I think, of all but we we do that you know we bow our heads and we close our eyes in reverence to god you know he is holy we're not you know he's infinite we're not so we so we bow our heads down and we close our eyes because we're we're bowing in humble submission to god and we have our hands clasped like this that's one of the images i think of praying hands in scripture somebody doing something like that but all throughout uh the psalms and even in particular in this psalm and in the psalms that we'll look at in the next couple of weeks there's a lot of different images when it comes to praying hands. Certainly, we see hands that do that in terms of reverence to God. Uh, sometimes you might see hands that are just doing this, and, and they're not mad, although there are times in Scripture where you have an image of somebody with their fists clenched like this, and they're praying to God to, to do something because maybe they're just upset that he hasn't done something. And in our finite minds, we're thinking, God, I don't understand it, and we put our hands together like that. But sometimes our hands together like this, and we're just praying for God, would you... Would you bring healing to this situation? Would you work out for your good uh, this situation? You know, we, we do our hands like this. Uh, sometimes, and I love this picture, we don't really do this a lot in the Baptist church. In fact, I think in the modern church of today, we don't really like to say this word, surrender. All through the great revivals that have swept through our country and through the word, that was a common word, you know, surrender. And we lift up our hands like this. We're just surrendering our whole being to God. That's an image we see of hands in Scripture. And, and then another particular image that, that comes to my mind in Scripture when we think of hands is, and I really see this in places like Central Asia, where some of our Southern Baptist missionaries are. It, it, that when they pray, they do their hands not like this, but like this. And they're just asking God to do what only He can do, and that is to fill their heart with, and fill their life with only the, with, with only with only the only thing that God can do. And they, they pray like they're saying, Lord, just please bless me. Bless my life so that I can be a blessing to you and so that I can be a blessing to others. We see all of that in these Psalms and even here in Psalms chapter 55. So let me tell you about Psalms 55 for just a minute. Psalms 55 uh, is a Psalm of David. You know, the man after God's own heart wrote this particular Psalm. And he wrote it at a, at a time in his life when things were just incredibly difficult. And we don't really understand it exactly like we would want to know. We, we don't really understand fully what he's going through, but we really get a good idea of what he's going through here. But we do know this, and we can, we can take this into the bank. He's writing this psalm in an incredibly difficult time in his life. Psalms 55. This is a prayer, David. I hope your Bibles are there, so look with me in your copy of God's Word. Here's what the Bible says. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. 
I hope as I'm reading this and as you're looking at it, that you just see a picture of David just in anguish. And he's, he's just not in a good place. He says, my heart is in anguish with me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I will wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. You see, that's what doves, doves will do that. Doves will escape a situation. They will escape harm and they will just go to somewhere, sometimes far in the wilderness, and they would find a particular place to, of, of nesting so that they might be at, at peace. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord, divide the, their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and inequity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. And then he gets personal in verse 13. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throne. So he's, he's just being open with God here. And he's letting us into, into his life in such a way that he's like, hey, there, there's, there's a person that's causing me to feel this particular way. And he's just being real and transparent and open with God. And he's taking his complaints to the Lord. Verse 15, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And then you love verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and for um, an opportunity that I have to speak forth your truth found in your word. Lord, as Trey prayed earlier, thank you for an opportunity we have to corporately come together as a church of Jesus Christ here in this corner of the world and to, and to worship you. So Lord, I pray that you might speak to our hearts today. Show us from your word what it means to pray and to cry out to you even when circumstances in our life can get tough and get hard. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, we're, we, we read all of Psalms 55. I promise you I won't, you know, camp out on that, you know, at an extent this morning because we just don't have the time to, to completely go through this particular psalm. But let me just say this about Psalms 55. We don't really know the circumstances of everything that David's going through. Are y'all all right with that? I mean, I am. I mean, there's parts of me that say, Lord, I really want to know this, I want to know this, I want to know that. But sometimes we won't know everything and get to heaven. Even then he may choose to say, well, I'm not going to tell you everything. So we really don't know the circumstances of, what going, of what's going on here in David's life. We don't even know exactly when he prayed this, but we can speculate. And, and we can give an educated guess, if you will, but we really don't know when he prayed this. We don't really know who he's talking about, although we got an idea and I'll tell you in a few minutes who many scholars think he's talking about here. This person that was a trusted confidant, that was a friend that, that just wounded him at a particular point in his life. We don't, but we don't really know for sure 
who it is, but we got a really good idea. And then we don't know all the, the whys either, but we do know that as a king of Israel, David, who you think would have it made and would have it easy, was going through a really hard time in his life. He could really sing the old hymn. In fact, when I think of that hymn, I think of Sunday night church services at my home church where I grew up, Troubles and Trials. Some of y'all have remembered that old hymn as well. But as I look at this particular prayer of David, it shows us that even when, even when we're going through heartache and even when we're going through pain and even when life is just really, really tough, even when we're having a high-stress day like David, we can pray even when. And I would even tell you this, until you learn how to pray on days like that when days are hard, you really haven't learned how to pray. Because you really do pray when life gets hard. You really do pray. So, so even when there's opportunities for you to pray, let me just walk us through Psalms 55 a little bit this morning. And first of all, know this, that you can pray even when you wonder, is God really listening? So even when you wonder, is God really listening? You, you can pray. I look at the first two verses, and it really raises the question in my heart as to whether you wonder if David, the man who was after God's heart, you wonder if David was really at a place where he wondered if God was listening to him. Y'all ever been there? Don't answer, but have you ever been there in your life and you thought, gosh, I really wonder if God knows what's going on. I really wonder if God is hearing you know, my feeble prayers and where I'm just trying to talk to him. I wonder if God is listening. Now, theologically, David knew that God was listening. I mean, David knew enough about God. He knew enough of the characteristics of God. He knew that God was listening to, to his prayers. And by the way, God listens to your prayers. But in his humanity, David's like, I think, when I look at the first two verses, David's wondering, God, are you really listening because it seems like he's demanding God to do something here. He says, he, he says in verse 1, just follow along with me. He says, give ear to my prayer. It's as if he's saying, hey, Lord, listen. Listen to me. Are you listening? And then he says in verse 1, don't hide yourself from my plea. It would be like saying, don't ignore me. Isn't it kind of neat that David can have a conversation with God that way? Hey, God's a big enough boy to handle us. And he's like, don't hide yourself from me. Don't ignore me. Then we come to verse 2, and David's like, he's crying out to God, attend to me. He's, he's just pleading, God, please pay attention to what I'm praying here. David is hurting. And we all know what it's like to be in a situation when we hurt. And he's like, God, you know, hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Then he says, answer me. Respond to me. Give me some feedback here. So it's as if David is saying, Lord, I want you to look at me when I'm praying. And y'all ever looked at your child? And it's like, hey, 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 look at me when I'm talking to you. Y'all ever done that? I have, because i got a couple of boys that like to wear hats that cover, you know, half their face here. And when I want to want to look them in the eye, I have to, you know, put the bill of the hat up, or I take my hand on their chin, and I'm like, hey, look at me here, I'm talking to you. It's almost like that's what David's doing here. Lord, I really want you to listen to me. I really want you to, I want to know that you're listening to me. It's a reminder that we can pray even when we may wonder, is God really, really listening? So why do you think David is so desperate for God to hear him? Well, he tells us, and he tells us there in verse 2. He's like, I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of my enemy. So in other words, in our vernacular, in our culture, in our speech, he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm complaining, and I'm complaining because I'm upset, and I'm, I'm upset because I'm troubled, and Lord, I'm just bringing all of this to you. I'm bringing all of my negativity. I'm just, I'm just unloading onto you. We do it on Facebook now, unfortunately. Many people do. But he's going to God. But who should you go to first, but not, not Facebook? All right, I'm just having fun. I love y'all. All right, he's, he's going to the Lord. He's like, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm upset. I'm troubled. 
Everything I'm bringing to you is negative. He's moaning. Y'all get the picture? He's complaining. He's griping about his life. And then we see, but I call to the Lord. He's going to save me. But, but he tells us, and he tells us in verse 16, every morning, noon, and night, I'm uttering my complaint to God, and he hears my voice. Let me read that to you again. Every morning, noon, and night, David is calling out to God in prayer, and it's not hunky-dory. I mean, he's just uttering one complaint after another 24-7. If y'all knew somebody like that, where all they wanted to do was complain and be negative 24-7, would you want to listen to them all the time? I don't think you would. But that's what David is saying he would. He, he's saying, God, I'm going coming to you, and you're hearing me even when I'm complaining morning, noon, and night. So here's the picture. All day long, David's going to the Lord, uttering his complaint, and he knows that God's going to hear. There may be times when you feel like God isn't listening, but he knows in his heart that God is hearing. Hey, here's how we make it personal. There will be days in your life when you're just like David, and you wonder in your heart of hearts, Lord, I really wonder if you're listening to little old me living in South Carolina. When you've got all the world to, to worry about, to think about, and to manage and control, I really wonder if you listen to, to little old me. There will be days when you feel like all you can do is complain, and there will be days when you feel like all you can do is vent, and you're venting your frustrations out to God. Hey, know this, when others won't listen, you have a Heavenly Father that will. So go to Him in prayer, whether it's 24-7, moaning and complaining and griping or not. Uh, he, he will listen to you. And the reason He'll listen to you is because He loves you. You're His child. He smiles upon you. So even when you feel like God's not listening, know that He is. Secondly, you can pray even when you're desperate to escape. And all of us have been in situations where we're like, man, I would give anything if I can just escape from this place or escape from this situation. You can pray even in those situations as well. If your Bibles are still open, David tells us what he's going through there in verse 9. He says, the noise of the enemy. This is why I'm praying to you. The noise of the enemy, oppression of the wicked. And then he says, they're dropping trouble upon me. Y'all see that? And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. That, that verse there is kind of like an image of warfare. He's like, well, it don't sound like warfare to me. But to David, it, it did. And it, to the people in his day, it sounded like warfare. Because David knew as a warrior, as a soldier, he knew what it was like to approach a city and be kind of like this. And if Robert was attacking my city, uh, I'm on the walls of that city. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to hurl some stones at Robert here. Not that I would because we're friends. But you know what I'm talking about. If we were back in the first, first century and beyond, David knew. David's like, hey, this is what I feel like is happening to me. My enemies are coming against me. They're, they're dropping the wall or dropping the stones over the walls there. He's like, my enemy is coming up against me and they bear a grudge. So in other words, for David, he's like, Lord, this feels like this is unrelenting. Great time of day. I'm, I'm burned here. I'm just beat down over and over again. So day after day after day after day, David, a man after God's own heart feels beat up by the way there's a lot of pastors that feel beat up um, I'll just say this and I don't have any axe to grind here I'm just gonna let y'all know y'all know that studies show that most ministers resign on a Monday by the way I'm in the office tomorrow okay I just want y'all to know that um, and then the other thing I read this recently too I'm like wow really um, but, but there again studies show this studies show that that many ministers when they leave a church leave it because of eight people that were constantly berating them for what it's worth, for what it's worth. That's where David is. He's just really feel, feeling, you know, beat up and stuff like that. And then he says in verses 4 and 5, 
My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. Look at the words he uses here. Fear, anguish, terror, trembling, horror. I mean, his pain and fear are so real. He's beginning to fantasize. You know, I just think, I just want to get out of Dodge. I just want to leave it all behind. I want to escape. And he says in verses 6 and 8, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Now, let me just tell you, you know, Rod is odd, all right? When I read scripture every now and then, I think of things that, you, that I don't know if you're like there with me, but when, when you read scripture, you ought to have a couple of things out. Maybe your journal, so you can journal what God is telling you, and then a scratch pad so you can journal all these weird thoughts that come into your mind when you read scripture like this. When I read that, I think of Jenny in the movie Forrest Gump. Dear God, make me a bird that I could fly, fly far away from here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, just saying, you know, like Tom Hanks, I told y'all that a couple of weeks ago. That's one of them, anyway. So that's where David is, like, dear God, make me a bird, make me a dove. I just want to get out. I want to escape. I want to fly away. <laughs> I think by some of y'all's laughter, you've been there. And you think, man, I know exactly what he's going through. I would have given anything to escape and to get out of Dodge, to get away from what's happening in my life. You know, wherever, um, whenever I go to certain places on vacation, uh, one of the things I'm kind of addicted to is I love to look up, nine times out of ten, I'll do this. I'll pull up TripAdvisor on my phone, and I'm one of those guys that like to read reviews. And, and really, because when I go on vacation, I go on vacation to eat. I don't know about y'all. So I like to look at, well, where, where, where are the best places to eat? Because that's where I might want to go if it's not really, really exorbitant and expensive. Try paying a, 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 ho a restaurant bill for six people. It can get kind of expensive, right? So um, anyway, not that I'm a cheapskate, but you know, I do like good food every now and then, but I like to read reviews like on TripAdvisor. And, um, and one of the things on TripAdvisor, when you go to a particular place, you can look at not only places to eat, but you can look at things to do. For example, the number one thing to do in Sherrall, South Carolina, get this, I've actually Googled us on TripAdvisor, is to go to Sherrall State Park, which is pretty cool to do if you ask me. Uh, I, I love that place. But anyway, you can look at things to do in particular cities. And one of the fascinating things that people like to do in certain cities is to go to a place called an escape room. Y'all ever done that? An escape room? Well, let me tell you what an escape room is, because some of y'all probably haven't done that. I haven't either, because I just don't want to pay good money to be locked in a room with people I may or may not know. And that's what that is. You pay good money that God has given you to be a steward over, and you pay to go into a particular room where you're locked in that room with people you may or may not know. You're, you're paying money to be locked in a room, all right? And the only way you can get out is either for the allotted time that you're, you're given to escape from that room, you know, expires, or you solve one puzzle after another, and then when you escape, you get to buy a T-shirt that says, I escaped. All right, some of y'all are like, what in the world is he talking about? Google it, talk to me after the service, we'll talk about escape rooms. But I say that to say this, David is there. He's like, Lord, I, I, make me a dove. Give me some wings here. I want to I fly. I want to get out of Dodge here. I want to escape from what's going on in my life. And there again, some of you know what it's like to be exactly where David is. And sometimes in life, gosh, we really wish we could do exactly that, escape. You know, I think about the number of kids that I've heard about through the years, people I've watched with on the news kids that would have done anything to escape a pretty rough home life, where they're abused physically or emotionally or verbally, where they would have done anything to be in a family that loved them, 
You know, my kids might could say about me, well, he's sometimes overbearing. No, I'm not. They might say he's overprotective. Yeah, I am. But they, I don't think they could ever say that I was abusive in any way, shape, or form. If anything, when I'm in heaven, and if God brings me to their mind, I hope they can say, you know what? Dad wasn't perfect, but it was there. Anyway, I know people that feel trapped and they're in, you know, they're, they're in turmoil and they go through depression and they just want to fly away. Some are trapped in unhealthy relationships and if only they could escape and fly away. Some people that I've known through the years are trapped in, in, in sinful choices and they just become trapped in that sin. They just want to fly away. Can I tell you this? So many people around us, maybe even people in this church right now, are saying, if only I could escape. You know, not only do we live in a culture of escapism, we live in a culture that's called a cancel culture. And people in, of all walks of life are doing whatever they can to escape. I know of adults and kids that spend hours upon hours playing video games, and there ain't nothing wrong with video games. I don't play them like I used to. <laughs> I tell you, can I just go off on a tangent here? Why not? Done it before, do it again. Uh, Leland, there was a time when, when I was in college, I lost a ton of weight. You know why I did it? Because I played a video game just about every night, sitting on a treadmill, no, not a treadmill, sitting on an exercise bicycle, and it was NCAA football. I played that game. It's the only time I think the South Carolina Gamecocks will ever win a national championship. <laughs> but I was the coach. We wanted, nobody could beat me on NCAA anyway. But I know of people that have just given up so much of their time to things like that and television and surfing the internet. And not, nothing wrong with all that, but not when you make it your life because you're just trying to escape, you know, from whatever thing is causing you pain. Uh, I, I've had friends through the years, some I grew up with, that turned to alcohol. And they turned to drugs just because they're looking for something to numb that pain. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe, you. maybe you've been there. Maybe your goal is to... Do just whatever you can do just to escape the pain that you're going through. And, and that's David. He's like, Lord, just give me, give me some wings like a dove. I, I just want to fly out of here. Can I tell you something? God's always got something better. Then what you and I think, that, Lord, this is what you need to do. God's always got something. He doesn't want to give you wings like a dove. He wants to give you wings like an eagle. And I love this particular verse from Isaiah. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. I'd much rather be an eagle than a dove. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, God will give you wings like, a, like an eagle so, not, so that not that you can escape, but so that you can go through that storm that you're going through. And guess who promises to be with you in that? But the Lord. So you can pray even when you feel like you need to escape. Hey, thirdly, and, and stay with me. I'm, I'm almost done. Thirdly, you can pray even when you feel wounded by someone that you trusted. And let me just say this, been there, wounded by someone you greatly, greatly trusted, and you probably have to. Look at verse 12, David's being a little more open here. He begins to talk about who's causing him a lot of pain. And whoever's causing him this pain, based on how I look at the text, is right there with him. And it's not Goliath, it's not Saul, it's not King Saul that was really after David on a number of occasions. How I look at this is almost as if David is saying, I'm staring the person in the face. They're right here in front of me. And at one time we were so close. We were so close here. 
A man my equal, he says, my companion, a familiar friend. And he says, we used to take sweet counsel together. Now, I wouldn't talk about me and Trey having sweet counsel together, but we're close friends, all right? We do church together. So David is saying, we used to take sweet counsel together within God's house, and we were a part of that heavenly throng, that family of God, if you will. The Bible says that his problems, get this, it's his problems, what he was going through, was not being caused by somebody from the outside, but from someone from within. And you probably know that some of the harshest words that will ever be uttered to you can be uttered from somebody from within on the inside than from somebody on the outside. So who in the world is he talking to? Well, we don't know for sure, but many people think it was Ahithophel. Yeah, try saying that. You know, try to sneeze, and then you might get Ahithophel. All right? And you can read about him over in 2 Samuel. He was one of David's closest friends, an older man, somebody he looked to for advice, somebody he looked to for wisdom. And yet, as you read about his, his story in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, he turned on David, and he was part of the conspiracy to overthrow him. But we don't know for sure that that's who David is talking about. But it, it really does seem likely that this is Ahithophel. Notice what David says about him again in verse 14, sweet counsel together. It gives the picture of them sitting in a pew, if you will, worshiping together. And that's how close they were. So David was hurt. And we see in verses 20 and 21 that everything sounded so good about this guy, but then he kind of stabs David in the back, if you will. So he's hurt. And he's been deeply distressed over his friend turning upon him because he's been wounded by the actions and the words of your friend. Don't y'all wish... Don't you wish that you could really tell somebody's true colors? Maybe, maybe. It would be like in Star Wars. All right, some of you older folks are like, what? Some my age and younger, y'all are with me. It would be like Star Wars. You know Darth Vader's about to come out the door there. The ominous music comes on. You know, the evilness, the, the, the lights turn to dark. Don't turn the lights down to dark. But it would be like the lights turn into dark, and, and you're thinking, wow, evil's here. Something bad's about to happen. Something ominous is about to happen. But in, in real life, it just doesn't happen like it does in the movies. But it sure would be easier if we knew as we were about to walk down that aisle at Walmart, evil's about to turn the corner. <laughs> hey, if you live long enough, if you live long enough, you'll feel the pain of somebody that you love turn on you. It just happens much too often. They'll say one thing and do another. They'll profess loyalty to you, then they betray you. And David is at that point so here's what David teaches us is that you can go to God whenever somebody that you love might even put on a pedestal, turns on you, you're to go to God. I mean, after all, he understands you better than anybody. And he, he really, really does. I mean, Jesus was betrayed by someone that pretended to be his friend. On the very night Jesus was turned over to the authorities to be crucified on the next day, who's he with but his closest friends there in the upper room? They're sharing a final meal together, and he washes the feet of a man named Judas. And Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew all of that was going to be taking place, but still, he showed Judas grace, and he showed Judas love. Have y'all ever been there? Can I just be transparent and real? Maybe I'm too much transparent and real with you sometimes, but, but I share my stories because I think you might can identify with them. I, just a few months ago, I, I went to a funeral, not around here. We've had too many of them. Kip and I were talking about that today. But um, I went to a funeral outside of Dodge here, um, really in a kind of close to Florence. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, there's so-and-so. Here's what I thought. 
somebody I had looked up to, somebody that had given me counsel through the years. I mean, really, my Ahithophel, if you will, in some ways. And, and I saw him coming, and I kid you not, I thought, I hope he doesn't see me. Y'all ever been there? Don't act like y'all are so much holier. I think you have. But, but I saw that person come, and I thought, man, I hope he doesn't see me. And I'm pretty sure I did just that. Maybe if I don't make eye contact, he won't see me. And I tried to walk to another direction. And then I thought, oh, man, what do I do? Well, I did. I wanted to be the better man. I always tell my kids, hey, try to be the better person. So I try to be the better man. So here's what I did, Richard. I went up to the person. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? It's good to see you. Because if Jesus could do that to Judas, who am I to say that I can't? Anyway, so you can pray even when you feel wounded by someone you trusted. Y'all with me? Say amen if you are. Good gosh, I hope you are. I really hope you are. Last but not least, you can pray even when you feel like you don't have the strength to carry on. If your Bibles are still open, look at verses 22 and 23. I'm almost done. But notice a word that he says a lot here in these verses. We've already alluded to it. It's the word you. <laughs> yeah, Y-O-U, you. David said you when talking about the one who had betrayed him earlier, and we think that might be Ahithophel. Then we come down to verse 23. He's like, Lord, you will defeat my enemy. I'm going to trust in you, O Lord. He says that in verse 23. I plan on trusting in you. Uh, even when I don't feel like I have the strength to do this on my own, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. Y'all with me? And then he comes to verse 22. The word you appears again, but it's not applied to the enemy. And it's not applied to God. It's, it's being applied to you that are reading the word of God today. You see some 3,000 years, if you will, before you were even born, God looked down through space and time, and he knew everything about you. He saw your face. He knew your name. And I really think with all my heart, a verse like this came to this mind. Psalms 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous, that's you, to be moved. So when you give the Lord those things that you're worried about, he will never say, I shall not be moved. He'll never say, I'm not going to listen to you. He's, you give him your burden, and he, he's going to listen to you. So you give him that relationship that's breaking in your heart. Give him that weakness you can't overcome. Give him that sin that keeps dragging you down. Give him your past that you just can't seem to get over with. You give it to him. He promises to sustain, what's the Bible say? You. And he'll never let you down. And you just got to come to him in prayer. Hey, there's there's an individual whose name is James Steagles. He was 19 when he went to Vietnam. And his nightmares began every day when he woke up, serving his country over there. He carried, like a lot of soldiers through the years, a small Bible in his pocket. He happened to have a Gideon's New Testament in his shirt pocket, but he had gotten to a place over there where he never read it again. All the atrocities that he saw and that he went through caused him not to turn to God, but just to ignore God. He spent his 20th and 21st birthday in Vietnam, and he felt like, I won't see my 22nd. Surely I'll die. But on February the 26th, 1968, he prayed. This is what he prayed. He says, Lord, I'm ready to die. I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this anymore. He's in Vietnam. And he surely, he thought, before the sun would come up, he would die. He felt that in his heart. Um, and sure enough, uh, something happened that night. 
that led him to believe this really is it. And what happened that night was that a rocket was coming right at the base where he and his comrades, his fellow soldiers, were camped. And he thought to himself, as that rocket approached, I mean, what are they going to do? He thought to himself, well, I've got three seconds to live. It's amazing how time, time kind of slows down. I've got three seconds to live. I've got two seconds to live. And then a buddy of his, in the blink of an eye, pushed him into a grease pit. And when he came out of that grease pit, he's like, I should be dead by now. But none of them died. There was a malfunction in that rocket. Some fuse just didn't work. So, but for five hours, they kept waiting for that rocket to explode while he's in this grease pit. And while he's in the grease pit, guess what he takes out but his New Testament? And he turns to the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter. And he began to read Matthew chapter 18. And he began to think, well, you know what? Maybe things are going to be all right. And he was one of the few that came home from Vietnam. He was um, engaged to be married, and he married the, the woman that he was engaged to. And at some point, he went to see his wife's grandmother. Her name was Mrs. Harris. And uh, he began to tell her about that night when he wanted his life to end. She began to tell him about that night some nine years ago when she woke up in just in a sweat and in a terror thinking, what in the world is about to take place here, specifically concerning James? She knew he was in Vietnam. She sensed that he was in trouble. And she began to pray earnestly that God would spare his life. Now, some of y'all know what it's like to have arthritis, right? She couldn't get down on her knees because of arthritis. But somehow she hit the floor. Face down on the floor, arms spread out, she begins to cry out to God to spare James's life and she read her Bible and she prayed all night long in fact she even called her Sunday school teacher got him out of bed and he came to her house and and this is what they particularly claim they claim this verse again I say to you if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask and it'll be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name there I am among them see what they were reading Matthew 18 the same chapter that James turned to when he was in that grease pit in Vietnam. So they began praying this particular verse, she and her Sunday school teacher. And after telling James that story, nine years after the fact, she opened her Bible and she pointed to his name and the date, February 26, 1968. She closed her Bible and she reached out her hands to, to James. She called him Jim. She reached out her hands to him, and when he looked down, this is what he saw. He saw an older lady's hand, and he didn't think, wow, they're old. He thought, these are praying hands, praying hands for me. When you, um, when you look at your hands, what do you see? You know, when, when you look at your hands, do you, does the phrase, does the image of praying hands come to mind? What about your kids or your grandkids? When they think of your hands, what do they think about? Do they know they got parents, grandparents that are praying for them? You know, Chrissy, I love the fact you told me this morning, hey, I prayed for Sarah and the whole team while they were in Boston. I was really praying for them, but especially for Sarah, who was in Boston with, with Robert and Trey. I was praying. She couldn't see my hands, but I was praying. What do your grandkids and kids think of you? when you pray? Do they think of praying hands? What about your spouse? Does your spouse know that you pray for him or her 
What about your friends? When your, when your friends come to mind, whether they're co-workers or not, you know, do they think, man, there goes somebody that's a, that's a man or a woman of God that, that prays with their hands. A lot of images that come to mind when we think of hands that are praying. But, you know, to me, when I think of the ultimate prayer that was prayed for me, were hands that were outstretched on the cross. When Jesus is on that cross for your sins and for mine, he's praying, God, forgive them. Now, surely he's praying for the ones that put him to the cross, but I can't get over the fact he's praying for me. Forgive him for his sins. Forgive those people, Lord, that are at Sheral this morning that are going to be worshiping me today on the first day of August. Lord, you forgive them. I think of the hands of Jesus that were stretched out on that, that cross where he prayed for us. I want to ask you to bow your head. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you can, no one walking around. And I just want you to think about this. He stretched his hands out for you. What a beautiful image of praying hands it is of our Savior. And he stretched out his hands on Calvary's cross for you. So my question to you this morning is when you pray, does God even see praying hands? What's God think about when it comes to your prayer life? This coming Wednesday night, we're going to have a time devoted to praying for our men that serve this church as deacons. Uh, we're in a deacon election. We had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to nominate some men to be deacons. We want to pray over these individuals. We want to pray for that particular ministry of our church. And we're going to be doing that this coming Wednesday night in particular. But, but when God looks at you, does he see praying hands? Oh, give us a heart and hands, Heavenly Father, to pray. Lord Jesus, um, when you look at our hands, what do you see? Lord, thank you for making us with, with hands and feet to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for making us in such a way that we have hands and feet to show your love to others. And we've done that in some really practical ways this summer as a church. So, Lord, as we move forward in the fall, would you give us hands and feet and eyes and ears and hearts that are open to wanting to serve you? You know, if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has gifted you. And he's gifted you to serve him. And I want to encourage you to, if you do anything for your church here at Sheral, that is that you pray for your church. Pray for our unity. I'm glad that we're a church that's united. But pray that it'll continue to be that way. Pray that we will be faithful to the doors that God will open so that we can be his hands and feet to this community and beyond whatever doors God opens up. Father, thank you. That, thank you for your hands that were outstretched on the cross. And Lord, I pray for those in this room. I pray for those that may need to call upon the name of Jesus today. Lord, would you just give them praying hands and praying hearts, Heavenly Father, to turn to you, we pray in Jesus' name.